Well, good morning. We're continuing on in First Thessalonians this morning in our series, and this finds us in chapter 4. We're going to be going through together and spending time in First Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 1 through 12. So if you would join me in standing for the reading of God's Word. Finally then, brothers, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus that as you receive from us how you ought to walk and to please God, just as you are doing, that you do so more and more. For you know what instructions we gave you through the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God, that no one transgress and wrong his brother in this matter, because the Lord is an avenger in all these things. As we told you beforehand and solemnly warned you, for God has not called us for impurity but in holiness. Therefore, whoever disregards this, disregards not man, but God, who gives his Holy Spirit to you. Now concerning brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write to you. For you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. For that indeed is what you are doing to all the brothers throughout Macedonia. But we urge you, brothers, to do this more and more, and to aspire to live quietly and to mind your own affairs, and to work with your hands as we instructed you, so that you may walk properly before outsiders and dependent on no one. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. Well, you can take your seats. And... Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we thank you for the opportunity to come to hear your word. Show us Christ is what we've sung, and we long for that today. Put your word down deep into our hearts. May it bear much fruit. May your spirit use that word to make us more dependent on Christ, more passionate in our pursuit of holiness, the pursuit of Jesus, and more longing for the goodness of our triune God and the love that's there to be known in our community. So we long for this word to do a good work in our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, the first word in our text today is finally. So Paul, that's signaling that we're in a new section, something that he's moving forward into the exhortation part of this letter. And we come to the section, and it's interesting, first and foremost... Paul is starting talking about sexual purity. He's talking about holiness. He's talking about loving your brothers well. You might, might, might find that interesting. Why would he start here? Why would he take us to this passage first? In this passage, he's doing a few things. But what is clear when we read it is he is urging the church to live out what they've been taught more and more. So Paul is pointing us towards pursuit of something to continue in something. And this is necessary when we think about what the text deals with. 
See, Paul is addressing the whole church. Not just some in the church. Every person present. He is saying, I'm urging you towards holiness. I'm urging you towards sexual purity. I am urging you towards greater love rooted in Christ for one another. And that tells us something this morning. We come to this text because we need this text. We need the exhortations from Paul concerning these things in our life because there's a cost. He picked up on it in our text. Paul knows that we can, if we are not pursuing the more and the more Christ and his teaching, then we can get into a funk where we actually disregard God. So we need this text. Are we beyond the challenge to pursue sexual purity, to pursue love in this church? No, we are not. The cost is great. And we're all in the fight together. And it's a fight that we have and will fight until as long as we're on this earth. To love. To love others well. To pursue holiness in our relationships and in our church. So church, let's seize this opportunity to hear Paul's words. Continue on, Maple Avenue Baptist Church. I urge you to continue to go down the road of purity and of love. And that's what we need because Paul knows that if we just kind of give up the fight, if we think, hey, I've reached a point where I don't need to fight anymore. I fought enough. I'm, I'm doing pretty well. Or maybe some of us are saying, I've fought too long and too hard and I'm just, I'm tired. Ready to give up. Paul knows that's dangerous ground. If you're like me, I am a terrible driver. I think they built these new modern vehicles just for me. Lane assistance, there's beeping, there's buttons, there's lights. It all helps me stay on the road. Because I, as much as I love my family, I see a nice bird out my window, I'm looking at it. Or I see something over there, I'm looking at it. My grandpa even drove a car with me one time. He saw a bunch of deer to the right. He said, everybody look, there's deer except you, Matt. <laughs> that's, what I was, that's a true story. And because we all know when we drive, they teach you when you're driving, where you look is where you go. That's right. Where you look is where you go. There's no neutrality. We can't, we can't give up. That's why Paul's saying, pursue, I urge you, more and more. Because where you look and you think you might not be moving, but you're drifting. And what you might do is you might crash your van. But it's more than a van. It's our life. It's our relationships. It's our witness. So Paul gives us this text to help the church in exhortation. So he does that. And... He gives us, lays out this text, and, and I love what one author says. He says about this text, he says, Advancement is the best defense, and self-satisfaction is deadly. So think about that. That's Paul. So Paul's urging us, right, twice in the text, to urge you to do this more and more. So advance. Advancement is the best defense. So let's pursue what the Scriptures tell us to pursue. Let's meditate on what the Bible tells us to meditate on, and let's not give up, and let's press in. So he does that, talking about our walk. There's three sections that I see. And the first is, our walk of love and purity is rooted in Christ. Our walk of love and purity is rooted in Christ. That's verses 1 and 2. Our walk of love and purity is rooted in God's will, verse 3 through 8. And our walk of love and holiness, or purity, blesses those around us. That's verses 9 
through 12. So let's look with me now at these few verses. Uh, Verses 1 and 2 of chapter 4, he says, Finally then, brothers, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus that as you receive from us how you ought to walk and to please God, just as you are doing that, you do so more and more. For you know what instructions we gave you through the Lord Jesus. So as I said, this more and more of our pursuit of love and holiness and purity is rooted in Christ. So in these first few texts, the first few verses, he actually motivates us in this direction to pursue more and more by encouraging them in light of what they've received. Did you catch that? So the urging more and more to do, to walk and to please God is in light of what they've heard. Why might that be encouraging? Why might that be helpful in our pursuit of holiness, pursuit of these things? It's encouraging because it's hopeful. You've already received it. You've already had that word go deep down into your heart and it's made a difference. There's there's a hint here of what the Old Testament promised, that in the New Covenant, the word of God was going to be put into the very hearts of men and women. And it's going to take a heart of stone and make it a heart of flesh. And Paul's like, you've received it. That word is what came powerfully through the preaching, accompanied by the Holy Spirit that took these Thessalonian believers and made them turn from idols to serve the living God. Paul's like, do it more than more and more. The word that you've already received, that's already transformed your life, it tells us a little something about faith. Sometimes it, we, we think, I've got to necessarily do something. I've got to lean on my own strength to pursue forward, to sprint this direction. No, I think this is telling us the more and more just like rooting, looks like rooting ourselves further down into the Word of God. Faith says, Lord, I've received this teaching from you, and I trust that it's good for me, and I'm going to stay there. And I'm going to marinate on it. And I'm going to trust that it's good. I'm going to trust that it saved me, and that it can continually help me and guard me. And that word of God, when we are laying hold of it by faith, how we ought to walk, which again deals with sexual purity and holiness, pleases God. That's another encouragement. You who are in the fight, be encouraged because you already have the word. It's already at work in you. It's what we heard in a few sermons ago. And it pleases God. I think there he's just pricking at what believers have deep down in their hearts, and that is a Holy Spirit-given love for God. And he says it pleases God. So in our fight, and sometimes we stumble, but in this fight, we know we have what we need, and we know that we, as we are pursuing by faith holiness, we can please the Lord. Our Heavenly Father is pleased. And in this certain context, we also need to think about where he's pointing them. He's pointing them to the Lord Jesus. See that? It was, it's in the Lord Jesus. It's through the Lord Jesus. When we're talking about loving people, we're talking about holiness, sexual purity, we can't get our eyes off Jesus. Jesus is the one who came down to save sexually immoral people. Jesus is the one that came down to bring in his way transgressors. People who live for themselves and in darkness. And he is the Lord. He rose. He conquered the grave so that we could be saved. So that we in our fart could fight from a place of knowing that we are forgiven. We're cleansed. He's washed us. He pleased God so that he could come down and defeat sin. 
so he can come down and defeat the grave, the penalty and the consequence for all our sin. And he rose triumphant. And he is, so these exhortations are in the Lord Jesus. So it's not simply just solidifying that it's the Lord that this word is from. I think it's more than that. Look to him through the Lord Jesus. And I think it's always through Christ that we can please God, through Christ that we can fight. And that's a hopeful fight when we think about the Lord. Jesus himself. Think about him who came down and who did he minister to? Who did he talk to? Who did he welcome in? I think about the woman at the well. Multiple husbands, multiple relations. What's she looking for? Satisfaction. Jesus says, come find it in me. In me you can find forgiveness, restoration, wholeness. So this word has come to people like that. Come to people like us. So he says, walk. When you're talking about love and purity rooted in Jesus, in the word of Jesus, and follow Jesus. And it's a life of pleasing God. It's a hopeful fight. When we think about our forgiveness. So we move on. So this word, it says in verse 1, that you ought to walk and to please God is the instruction. We're, really not, we're going to go down now into that instruction. They've received it. They know what it is. And yet Paul is going to reiterate it to them. And this instruction in verse 3, it says, for this is the will of God. So he's now rooting his, his urges for us to do something more and more in the very will of God, not just the word of Christ and hope in Christ, but also in the Lord. And this section is extremely helpful because how many of you, if you're like me, you, you're wondering, what's important? What's the, what are the main things for me as a Christian? What's the, what are the important things for me to pursue in my life? And what are they? What's, what's God's will for me concerning those things? Hey, it's kind of comical. Sometimes we can think, retrace our life and think of what we thought was important and what we pursued maybe in the high school years, maybe in our early 20s. At whatever stage your life at, we can, things can seem important. And we want God to speak in. And sometimes we can get frustrated maybe when the scriptures just don't seem as clear on something as we'd like. So we, start, we, can, we can be tempted to kind of look elsewhere for God's will. Maybe it's going to, like I think of Isaac Newton. Remember how we learned about gravity in school? Isaac Newton, he's sitting under the apple tree and an apple just comes down and kind of hits him off the head. Oh my goodness, and he kind of came to. This is how gravity works and sent him on the road to figure that out. And that's, that's what we can be. We can kind of think, hey, this is, I need God to speak. But the, verse 3 makes it abundantly clear. I don't need a higher education. I don't need mystical new ways to hear from God to figure out his will for my life. And in that sense, it, it, it reorientates us to what is actually important. Look at verse 3. It says, For this is the will of God. So it's known, it's clear, it's stated. Your sanctification. Christian, that's God's will for you. Your sanctification, saved for holiness. And he goes on, he expands on that. He says that you abstain from sexual immorality. Each one of you would know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, that no one would transgress his brother in this matter. So Christian, it's clear. We don't have to search around for what's important. God is telling us, and it's rooted in him and his will and his purposes. Pursue holiness. Pursue sexual purity. It doesn't get any clearer than that. And we can tell something right out of the gate here about this pursuit of sanctification in our lives in the realm of sexual purity is that it's both negative and positive. So Tim Chalice is helpful here. He says, turning away from sin. Yes, that's part of it. But turning towards God and delighting in his gifts is another. 
So we see that it's not simply about saying no, it's about honoring him, for this is his will for our life. Another author says sexual purity is not simply what to avoid. It's about putting those old things and ugly behaviors to death in order to free yourself to pursue the better ones. God wants to free you from sin so you can enjoy his gifts to stop pursuing bad stuff and pursue good things. This is God's will for you. And this is what, this this puts us on a, a grand scale when we think about what is being said here. This is God's will for you, your sanctification. This is what Paul had just prayed for. Look at verse 13, uh, chapter 3, verse 12 and 13. And may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all, as we do for you, so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. We have been brought into sanctification, saved for it, and it's got such a grand trajectory. It ends with the Lord. He brings us into a relationship with him. He's working in our hearts so that we might know him better and bring our will into alignment with his so that we might live with him forever. And to think about our culture, this, this, this news dropped into Thessalonica, which was a sexually immoral city. And by that, I just mean they had their own designs for sex, their own design for what is brings guilt and shame and what can be had and how it can be had. And our culture is not different, but God says to us, no, this is the will of God, your sanctification. So abstain from sexual immorality. I've got such a better story for you, such a better narrative. Even marriage, where God has designed for that to be enjoyed and pursued, points to something greater. So God says, this is the will of of mine for you. It's positive. He's drawing us into it. And yet the tone of the text remains. And he's going to motivate us by this, also through some of these harder things in the text. So he's he's going to say, here's some motivations for you. And I think one of them is just, let's never take sexual sin lightly. Let's not think that we can draw up a map for it. Make the, make the spheres for it where we want to. The text says no. The text says this is the will of God for you that you abstain from sexual immorality, period. So pursuing holiness more and more. That this church is going to make it to the end. This church, so that this church doesn't drift is for us to have clear lines drawn. And that there, the, the, we need to give this fight no foothold in our life. No space. So as Paul says, know that God calls us to abstain from sexual immorality. So abstain from sexual immorality is a broad word for, for what that can look like in any, in any way we want it to. It's not something specific. So God's saying sexual morality then is opposite to where that can be enjoyed, which is marriage. So we express our faithfulness here. So he's calling us to, when he's saying don't be sexual immoral, he's saying don't go anywhere else to find what could only be had here, here. So he's saying, don't take this lightly. And we need to do this because if we, if we trifle with this in our mind, I think about some of the things I do in my life. I am so prone to getting sick. I get strep throat all the time. And what I'll do is I'll go to that doctor and he'll say, here, Matt, here's your amoxicillin. Here's your penicillin. And I'll be like, oh, thank goodness, I'm struggling. And I get home and I get through half of that vial and I think, oh, man, I'm doing great. And what I do is I take that little antibiotic and the rest of it, I just put it back up on the shelf. And do you know what happens three weeks later? Eva gets a call and says, Matt, I'm, uh, Eva, I got strep throat again. 
And that, that, that's what happens. I, 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 I treat it lightly, what I have, that this, this fight, this thing that needs dealt with in my life. So we're not supposed to have that trivial. He says, I got to take the whole dose. So we do have to reckon with this verse and take it for what it is. So a complete break. And we can, so we can ask ourselves, what stage of life are you in? And where might that battleground be for you? So this call for a complete cutoff has to do with what are we going to allow ourselves to hear? Are we going to allow ourselves to listen to coarse joking, sexual joking, and crude jokes? Are we going to let our eyes look at things that they shouldn't? Are we going to let our free time be given over to things that might tempt us down those roads? Are we going to fight? What about our thoughts and our hearts? Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount puts the, put the problems right in here. It's a heart issue. Will I say yes to God's perfect and good way? Or will I say no? So this gets at every aspect of our life. There's no corner that I can leave unattended. So it all matters to God. We see here, if this is God's will, then sexual sin is first and foremost a sin against God before it's a sin against others. So let's pursue that with rigorous and stubborn energy. This is the will of God for you, your sexual. Do not abstain from sexual immorality. And again, there's another motivation in this text is when we do that, we're actually being distinct and set apart from our world. So we can sit here and lob grenades at our world. Look how awry they're going. But yet part of the hope and the solution is that there's a people and amidst this generation that finds joy and life in God's designs. That is a beacon of healing light. Think how damaging uh, sexual immorality can be. Billions of dollars go into the pornography industry. Prostitution, it ravages and devours and takes and yet there can be a, a little picture of healing with a Savior that cleanses and makes whole. So you see that in verse 4? It says that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not in the passions of lust like the Gentiles do who do not know God. So in all these places where the passions are just being unleashed, every avenue being taken, there's a, there's a self-control that we need as Christians so that we can stand out and be distinct and by that point to a God, a living and true God who's got a better way. In Thessalonica, there were gods aplenty that could allow you and absolve you of any guilt. It was socially acceptable to do a ton of things that are immoral. So if you wanted to pursue something, you could and there was, like, there was an idol and a God that would give you a doorway for that. But yet we have a living God who's called us to something greater and the community that we're in should be able to see that there is a true God by the way we live. And it's marked by self-control. Abstaining, self-control. And there's another thing that motivates us more, and that is the fact that if we give in to, if we start to drift, and, our, and, and these passions and these lusts start to get unchecked, I've touched on them already, but how unloving of a world that would be, and to think about that even more, how unloving this church will be if we're not on guard. Look at verse um, 6. That no one transgress and wrong his brother in this matter. And I think our world advertises that pursue sexual morality wherever you want. And you know what? It's loving. 
They put that label on it. It's loving one another. Doing what you want, pursuing that, that expression of your sexuality is loving. And it, it, to, to, to tell someone not to do that is unloving. And yet the, the text just says it wrongs people. It hurts people. Underneath this in the, in the Greek is actually defrauding somebody. It's, so the Bible is telling us here, it's actually, no, it's not loving. It's unloving to the max. Because really underneath the veneer of, the, of what is love in our day and age is really just self-love. And self-love unchecked by the gospel and by the Holy Spirit can be ugly. So he's saying, love people well. Don't wrong people. Don't take from somebody. Don't hurt someone. Don't damage the soul of another. That's not what God wants. That's not, God is, it's, even text even says he's an avenger of these things. So that is another motivation. Do we see God as on the sign of the wounded party? Do we have a conception of God that's like that, that he will avenge, bring all things into account? Again, that stretches. The book of Thessalonians really is always looking at the end. The end goal is always in sight. And here is the Lord. He's the avenger. What on that day? So again, let us be pursuing more and more self-control, holiness, sexual purity, loving and commending God's place for it in marriage, guarding our hearts and continue to encourage one another because we're all in the fight. And that's, that's where Paul, Paul wants us to see this because, the, again, the drifting is dangerous. Look at verse 7. For God has not called us for impurity, but in holiness. Therefore, whoever disregards this, disregards not man, but God who gives his Holy Spirit to you. How sad is it that we who maybe once set out to please God, love to please him. Because we have set ourselves down in second place and his interests are primary. We love to pursue him, to please him, to honor him. And one day in the future, we end up totally disregarding him. Sad. God who gives us generously his son, Jesus, the Holy Spirit. So church, it's like that van. Where you look is where you go. Let's keep pursuing more and more the way we ought to walk in purity and love and holiness. And I think up till now, I think we've got to remind ourselves that if it's up to us alone, this will eventually, will stumble big time. We'll be people that damage, but yet the text doesn't just leave us with law. It gives us gospel because the text says we have the Holy Spirit. We can pursue the more and more because Christ Jesus came down and brought us out of darkness to, into a kingdom of his beloved son, saved us. He's implanted the word down deep into our hearts. God has given us his very will, which we can know, and his spirit, which can align our desires and our hearts with his. And the spirit empowers us to do this work. That's good news. Galatians 5 warns us that if we walk by the flesh, we will bite and devour one another. It's inevitable. But then it says, if you walk by the Spirit, you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. So we have the Holy Spirit in us, empowering us to fight. Empowering us to love our brothers and sisters. This is what guards us, seals us, convicts us, leads us. Think of the fruits of the Spirit. Later on in Galatians 5, it says the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. 
That is what we need when we're talking about sexual purity. We need patience to wait. Maybe, Lord, I'm, I'm longing for, for a wife. But the Lord, and through his Spirit, allow, can allow us to be patient. Enjoying the God that is all-sufficient in the moment. He can bring us peace and patience. Think of faithfulness. Just to continue on plotting. And self-control. Here it is, self-control. That's what the text called for us. And the Spirit, that's a fruit of the Spirit. So church, let's walk according to the Spirit. And there's hope in this fight. So again, I think the challenge there is that we wouldn't take sin lightly. And if you're out there today wondering, I've been hurt by this, damaged by this, there's a God who has a better way. And there's a Savior that can heal and restore and make whole. God is going to avenge all those things. So give up living for your own passions and desires, these fickle little narratives. Remember I talked about the greater narrative of God? To save, to make whole, and to bring to himself. Our world only has these little, little stories, little narratives that you can pursue and know and enjoy. And they're vain and they're empty. So come and know the Lord. Come and know the joy of having his will done in your life. And repent of those things and joyfully receive the gospel. This next section is the, again, I think highlights what the first section is doing as well because it affects our witness, but it, it, it's more. It's, it's, it's the section of our walk and our love blesses those around us, verses 9 through 12. So again, there's Paul is urging him to more and more. You see that in the end of verse 10. But we urge you, brothers, to do this more and more. And what is he urging them to do? Love people. So he's urged us towards sexual purity in the church, and now he's urging us to love one another. And he's urging us to aspire to live quietly, to mind our own affairs, and to work with our hands as we instructed you to do. And in light of that, there's going to be an amazing and healthy witness in our community. So let me put this, this section, this last section, really in the form of a, of a possible testimony. So this, this, this could be, you could hear a testimony like this. I, I spent time with John Doe and Jane Doe. And I was uh, living for myself. And they were my neighbors. And I got to know them. And they loved differently. They had different joys and passions. They, they weren't like other people I've met. I was slightly intrigued by what makes them tick. And I realized the more I spent time with them, that their whole hope and joy was rooted in this thing called the good news. A love that was from God, that loves us and brings us into this love. And it resulted in a quiet, patient life, a contentment. It produced in them a love that bore with people, forgave people, prayed for people, hoped for people, endured with them, forgave them. And they didn't aspire necessarily to things that my other neighbors aspired to. They didn't just at all costs pursue living for riches. And even when they struggled and their life was hard, they were quiet-spirited. I never met someone that was, more root, that was rooted in something and grounded when this life could take away so much of our foundations. And I knew that they loved me, that they cared for me. And church, wouldn't it be amazing if that's the testimony that we hear in places like this baptismal tank over the years when we, through Christ, empowered by the Holy Spirit, love. See, it matters. These people can see, it's a love that's taught by God. It's never going to be, hey, look at us. 
No, it's let me tell you who has loved me so much he sent his son Jesus to die for me and that manifested a love like I've never heard of before that drew me up into it and now I'm freed up to love people. My wife, my, my kids, my neighbors and people can come into contact with that. And it, th- these people weren't even content. They wanted to love people more and more and more. And it's not just, it's love with integrity. That, that, that's a glorious testimony because it just points people to Jesus, points people to the source. And that's really what the, the it's, a, it's, a, it's a helpful section. It means that there's, God has infused purpose and meaning into what we think might be extremely mundane. Six, working six days a week, seven days a week for some, might seem pointless, purposeless, but no, it's eternal significance is weaved into all our jobs into our neighborhoods, into the way we love people. So again, I think the, the, the Apostle Paul is just helping us pursue more and more a life of purity and love rooted in the gospel. And a love that is going to bring health to this church, maintain health to this church, and be a, a, produce a vibrant witness in this community. And we can do it because the gospel is real and powerful, and the Holy Spirit is given to us to help us. So like that van, let's keep looking for those lights and those markers. Let's thank God for the lane assist. Think about what he's called us to in this text. And I think we're going to find a joy and a contentment as we align ourselves with the Lord and his will. So brothers and sisters, it's a hopeful fight. And I, don't, I, I think I just, again and again, for the sake of repetition, do you know how many times God was mentioned in this text? Jesus was mentioned in this text. The Holy Spirit is mentioned in this text. You can't leave here this morning thinking, i got to do this on my own. But just leave this morning knowing that it's best for you because God says it is. And he is our loving Heavenly Father. And there's a better life in the gospel. So let's pursue and let's forsake sin. I think that's the encouragement of the text. Flee those things. Our church, run abstain through the power of the Holy Spirit. Love empowered by the Spirit. Love like Jesus. So let's seek Him in both those areas. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we thank You for Your Word. It's powerful and active, and it's extremely humbling. Lord, we are needy, weak people, and You are the Lord of weedy, meek people. So let us take encouragement and proper motivation to pursue holiness. In Jesus' name, amen.